You know, as we consider the Christmas season, and and I know everybody complains about how materialized and commercialized Christmas is, and I agree with you. Uh, Christmas is certainly a lot more commercial than it ever has been. But, you know, Christmas has always been a time of gift-giving. We have a gift-giving God. The Bible tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We have a God that's got a, that's got a giving reputation. And as we come into this Christmas season, there's one verse that has been laid upon my heart. I've been thinking about it for weeks, and I want to share it to you and just speak to you for a few moments about this truth. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, it's a very short verse, and it says this, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. We'll never really be able to comprehend, I believe, until we get to heaven, just what it is that the Lord did for us on Calvary. Now, let me say to you tonight that, that you don't have to understand much of it to be saved. We'll talk for a moment about what it means to be saved. But we'll never really fully sound the depths of it. Truly, Jesus Christ is an unspeakable gift. For almost 2,000 years, men have been preaching about Him, and there's still sermons to be preached. Songs have been written about Him, and there's still songs to be written. Saints have been testifying about Him, and there's still testimonies to be given. Not to say that we can't speak about Him, but we'll never exhaust the depth and richness of the person of Jesus Christ. What is this gift that the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9? Well, you'll find that the Bible's written on purpose. Amen? It's perfect. It's inerrant. It's preserved. And God says things a certain way for, for a reason. Let me just share with you. First off, let's look at the definition of this gift. It says, for God's unspeakable gift. Well, what is the gift of God? Well, Romans 6.23 tells us where it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The great and grand gift that God has bestowed upon those that would come unto Christ is eternal life. Now, there's some that would scoff at that. I know science, or, or science falsely so-called, as the Bible calls it, would claim that there's nothing left after we die. We just die, we go to dirt, that's it, we're done, we're over with. But it's evident, I mean, every single culture in this world has some idea about something that takes place after death. You know, I kind of believe that is the witness in the human heart of the divine truth that when you die, it's not over then. Every one of us will spend eternity somewhere. Can I just pause and ask you this? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, where will I spend eternity? Well, the Bible's very clear that there's only two choices, and we see it in this verse that we've read. The wages of sin is death. Now, that's not just a physical death. But Revelation chapter 20 calls it the second death. It says that death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. It's appointed unto men once to die. There's no question. And if the Lord doesn't return first, every person in this room, saved or lost, will meet death. How will we meet it when we do meet it? So the gift of God is eternal life. But now listen to this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Well, what is it? It's the salvation that's being spoken of. So we can say not only eternal life is the, life is the gift of God, but we can say that salvation is the gift of God. Something unique to Bible Christianity, and I want you to listen careful now, something unique to Bible Christianity is the premise of salvation by grace. 
Every other religion in the world proposes that we earn and work for our salvation. If we become a church member, if we get baptized, if we give to charity, if we do good things. You've probably heard folks say this. Maybe you've said this at times. Somebody will ask someone, have you ever been saved? And they'll say something like this. Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. You'll say, well, what do you mean you're all right? And they'll say, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know that God never asked you to be a good person? God knows you can't be a good person. In fact, Christ went so far as to say that there's, there's none good. The Word of God is clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us in this room and in this world is born a sinner. God knows we can't just be good. It's not within us to be good. So you know what he said? He said, you come to me as you are, and I'll save you, and I'll change your life, and I'll bring something good out of your life. Because we're not capable in and of ourselves. So the definition is salvation or eternal life. What about the need of this gift? You know, one of the toughest things whenever you're buying Christmas gifts, and and, uh, how many of you have had a daddy? Anybody? A few? Okay. Dads are notoriously difficult to buy for, aren't they? You know why? Because most of the time they have the best access to the money. If they wanted it, they'd just go buy it. Uh, some of you have bought ties for your fathers that they don't want or need, amen? And uh, it's tough to find something that fits the need of an individual. Nothing's more precious than a gift that is given that is tailored to the need of an individual. We find as we study the Word of God that the need that the Lord is fulfilling is a need that is universal. We've already touched on it, but I'll read it again. Hebrews 9.27 says, and it is, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person in this world is in need of the gift that God grants to mankind. doesn't matter who you are. God has provi- provided a way of salvation for you because you need salvation. It's been said before, and I'll just mention it and move on, that if if man's great need was finances, God would have sent a banker. If man's great need was self-esteem, he would have sent a motivational speaker. If man's great need was perfect health, then he would have sent a medical doctor. But man's greatest and grandest need is salvation, so he sent a Savior. We all have a need of this gift. Well, what about the source of it? Where does it come from? Some of you uh, were raised and, uh, you know, that your parents maybe taught you about Santa Claus and you thought all your gifts came from Santa Claus. And uh, some folks even still feel that way, amen, even grown adults sometimes. But uh, where does this gift come from? Well, Christ makes it very clear in John chapter 10, verse 27, 28. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. He said, I give unto them eternal life. Now, some of you are saying, well, preacher, why do you say that? Of course we know that. Well, here's the thing. In this world, it's not uncommon to find people that believe Jesus is the way to heaven. But it's getting more and more uncommon to find people that believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Well, what does the Bible say about it? I heard a preacher say one time, it's always stuck with me, it's God's heaven. Shouldn't we find out how he thinks we ought to get there, what he says about getting there? We live in a day of, of, uh, of uh, multicultural existence and uh, nothing wrong with multiple cultures. But with that, sometimes with our mentality of multiculturalism, we have adopted an idea of multi-religion. And this idea that, well, whatever you believe is right. Well, anybody can tell you that that's not the case. Two plus two equals four. It doesn't matter if it makes you feel bad for it to equal four. It doesn't matter if it harms your self-esteem for it to equal four. 
Two plus two is never going to equal five, always equal four. You know why? Because that's truth. That's absolute truth. That is invariable truth. The Bible teaches us that the Word of God is truth. And what does the Word of God say about the way of salvation? In John chapter 14, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then, lest we should wonder, He said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to heaven. I know that would upset some. But, you know, usually those that it upsets are those that are in greatest need of this gift. It won't change it one bit if we think that's narrow-minded or closed-minded. It's absolute truth. The source of this gift comes only from the person of Jesus Christ. First John makes it clear when it puts it this way, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Could I just ask you very simply tonight, do you have the Son? Do you have a relationship, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Not are you a good person, not have you been baptized, not uh, do you give to charity. I had someone tell me that not too long ago. I said, well, I give to charity. Well, there's plenty of people give to charity. You can't buy your way into heaven. It's a steeper bill than you have the billfold for. You could never pay what you owe to get into heaven. So we see the source of this gift. What about this cost, this great debt? You can never pay what you owe. So how can we get into heaven? Well, there's someone that's paid it for us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means that's, that's, that's what's owed. That's the paycheck for all of our sins. What we deserve is to die and go to hell. It's not a popular message, but it's true. Just as it was when it was pinned down in the Word of God, it's just as true today that the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, all are deserving of death. I'm deserving of death and you're deserving of death. How can we ever avoid dying and going to hell? Well, the Bible tells us that while we were sinners... In fact, let me just, let me just read it to you. There's no way you can say it better than how God said it. In Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For us. Now, there's two ways we can understand that, for us. Both of them are true. We could assume that what's meant is that He died for our benefit. Certainly Christ did die for our benefit. But then there's another way. You know, I was a youth pastor for a little while. That's where my hair went. And I used to tell the young people this way. I'd talk to them about doing homework. And, you know, inevitably I'd always say, have you got any homework? And they'd always say, yeah, yeah, we've got homework. I'd always say, wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody just come along and do that homework for you? You see, it's your responsibility to finish that homework. That's your job. But wouldn't it be wonderful if someone would come along, take that burden off your shoulders, put it on theirs? Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone would come along and take that which is weighing you down and place it upon themselves so that you wouldn't have to deal with it? Well, in that way, we were weighed down with sin. We deserved to die and go to hell. I know we live in an entitlement society with an entitlement mentality. People talk all the time about what they deserve, what they're owed. Well, if we believe the Word of God, then we deserve to die and go to hell. But the Bible teaches us that while we were deserving of that, Christ instead went in our place. He said, you can't pay your sin debt. But the Bible says, for God hath made him, speaking of Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin saying he knew no sin. Uh, the Bible tells us he knew no sin. In him was no sin. He did no sin. He was absolutely sinless. 
But God made him to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That was the great cost of this gift. The Savior had to give his life. You saw it represented just a moment ago. What a beautiful, touching picture. But there's a side to it that oftentimes we don't talk about. But we preached this morning about Simeon. Simeon, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the Lord to be born. And after he had given this, this glowing dissertation, so to speak, after he had, he had talked about how that he would be a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of God's people Israel, he stopped and he, he looked at Mary and Joseph and he said that this child is set for the rise and fall of many in Israel. And then he looked at Mary and he said this, he said, and a sword shall pierce through thy own soul. He was speaking about the death of Jesus Christ. Christ would have to give his life in our place on Calvary. He did give his life for us on Calvary. He gave his life for you on Calvary. You just came tonight to hear a Christmas play. I know that. You came because family wanted you to, or you came because you were invited, or maybe you came because this is your home church and you came to support it. But can I just remind you tonight that it was you that he went to the cross for. It was your sins that placed him there, just as it was mine. If you had been the only person, or if I had been the only person, he still would have died on... He would have paid that cost for you and I so that we might be saved. Who are the recipients? Who are the ones that get this gift? You ever given a gift and written, wrote the wrong name down on the tag, went to the wrong person? Isn't that embarrassing? I'm sure you've had that happen a time or two. Well, who's the one that this is intended for? Listen to what the Word of God says in... 1 John 5:13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God who gets to partake in this gift The Bible tells us that Christ tasted death for every man This gift is available for any and all Christ made this promise he said any that come unto me I will in no wise cast out It's available to anybody But I like how the Word of God puts it when it says that Christ is the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe. That tells me this, if I could put it this way, and I hope it doesn't seem irreverent, but it tells me this, that under that rugged cross there's a gift with your name on it and with the name of every single individual that's ever been born. There's a gift with their name on it. But there will only be some that unwrap it and there will be others that won't. There'll be some that partake. There'll be some that don't. How is it that we partake in this gift? The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever joineth the church, no. Whosoever is baptized, or whosoever is a good person, or whosoever does more good things than bad things, or or takes care of their loved ones, or tries to, you know, rewind the video before they take it back to the store. No, that's old-fashioned, isn't it? (laughs) That whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but of everlasting life. There's only one way that you can partake in this gift, and it's not through your good works, and it's not through trying to abstain from bad works. The only way is to acknowledge yourself a sinner before the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you and save you of your sins, and then put your trust in him that he'll save you, that he'll do what he told you he would do. What about that promise? What about that promise? Has God promised eternal life? Has God promised that He would do that for us? Well, I could read you a thousand verses, but I'll read you one. 
First John 2.25 says this, And this is the promise that He hath promised us even eternal life. This truth is one of the things that most people struggle with. Do you understand that if you get saved, it's nothing that you've done? Not, not of works, Ephesians 2.9 says, lest any man should boast. By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, the truth is, every person that dies and goes to hell, dies and goes to hell thinking that they've got themselves to heaven of some sort. Maybe a different heaven than you or I would imagine. But everybody dies and goes to hell trying to get to heaven, try, saying that they in and of themselves are good enough, are righteous enough, that they'll be okay. I don't know how many people I've seen walk away lost because they said, I'll be okay. Another day will come, another opportunity. The truth of the matter is, you can't save you. If you try to save you, you're going to die and go to hell. You can't save you. Salvation doesn't come from your good works, but it comes from the promise of God. But now, if you have leaned upon the strong arm of the Lord, if you have confessed yourself a sinner, cast yourself at the feet of Calvary, if you've come and asked God to forgive you and save you, you know what He's done? He's promised that He would save you. When I'm counseling with people about assurance of their salvation, there's one verse I always bring them back to, and it's John 5:24. The Word of God says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. And I pause it right there, and I ask him this question. How would you feel if God was to walk right through those double doors, look you in the eye, and say, You're saved? I ask him, Would that settle it without fail? Without variation, they've always said, oh, yes, preacher, that would settle it. But do you know that's exactly what God's done through His Word? He that heareth my Word, that doesn't just mean to hear it like a, like a noise, but it means to understand it. Do you know that Christ died for you on the cross? Do you know that you're a sinner? Have you heard what the Word of God says about it? And believeth on Him that sent me. That means to lean, to trust, to put your confidence in. I've given this illustration before, and I told the church 15 minutes, but every good preacher tells at least one lie from the pulpit, so I always tell that one, get it out of the way. But I always give this illustration. If I wanted to travel somewhere, I wanted to go somewhere. Let's say I decided I wanted to up and, and go to England. I don't know why I would, but let's say I did. And I decided I wanted to go there. Do you understand that I, I could go and I could purchase the ticket? I want you to listen carefully. I could purchase the ticket, but just purchasing the ticket won't get me there. For every man, woman, and child in this world, the ticket has already been purchased. But that doesn't mean that you'll get there just because the ticket's been purchased. You can purchase the ticket. You can go and you can buy the right clothes for the trip. No telling how many people are lost and undone in their Sunday best. But buying the right clothes, that won't get you there. Did you know you can go to the airport, you can stand on the tarmac, and you can look at the plane, and you can believe that that plane is capable of getting you there. But that won't get you there. There's lots of folks that they believe Christ died for their sin. They believe that. They believe that Christ can save them. It's as though they're standing on the tarmac, they're looking at the plane, and they're saying, I believe that that plane can get me there. But that won't get you there. You know, there's only one thing that's going to get you there. You've got to climb on the plane. And you've got to put your life in the hands of the pilot. There's lots of folks that have an academic knowledge. 
they have acknowledged the truth that Christ is the Lord and that He can save them. But it's simply academic. They've never come to a place where they've quit trying to save themselves and instead climbed on the plane, put their life in the hands of the pilot, and said, Lord, I can't save myself. But if you'll forgive me and save me, I'll trust you, and I'll put my faith in you. The Lord says, I've promised you eternal life if you'll do that. I've promised you eternal life. Well, let me just say one final thing. What about the duration of this gift? There's some of you that should have spent a few more dollars buying your gift, because if you had, it would have lasted till next Christmas. But whatever you got, somebody will tear up, and you'll be having to get another one next year. Amen? And uh, one of the most frustrating things is to buy a gift and for it to tear up, for it not to last. What does the Bible say about this gift that God's given us? This eternal life. Is it really eternal? Is it really everlasting? Well, listen to what Christ said in John chapter 10. He said, My Father, which gave them me, speaking of those that are saved, which gave them me, He said, He's greater than all. Is greater than all. He said, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You know the only kind of life that God's got is eternal life? God's an eternal God. No beginning, no ending. God doesn't have a perishable and corrupt life. The only kind He has is eternal life. And so if you've come to the Lord and if He's saved you, the only kind of life He can give you is eternal life. It wasn't you that saved you. So it's not your mistakes that unsave you. Nothing can unsave you. It it wasn't your good works, so your bad works can't undo it. It wasn't because you gave, so therefore if you don't give, you won't lose it. Because it's not you that saved you at all. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. What He's done is settled forever. Settled forever. I wonder in a group this size, you know, the Lord had twelve and one of them was a devil. And if we were statisticians, we'd say there could be somebody in this room that if they were to die at this very moment, they'd die and go to hell. You know, you don't have to leave here in that condition. The the, the gift has been bought. The ticket has been paid for. The way has been made. All that's needful is for you to receive that gift that God's given to you, that He's made a way for. I wonder how many would say, I've got a loved one, and they're in need of this gift, preacher. I wonder how many of us God has burdened our hearts with someone, maybe someone we'll see in the next few days, and won't see for a whole other year if we ever see him again. God's burdened our heart with them. I want us to take a few moments, and as a musician slips to the piano, I was looking around for one, we got one somewhere. We got two around here somewhere, but I don't think they'll both play at the same time on the piano. I wonder if you'd bow your heads and pray with me for just a moment. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have liberty to stir hearts. God, I pray that if there's any amongst us that are in need of Christ's salvation, they'd not leave this place until they've got it settled with you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this unspeakable gift. Thank you for the richness of your grace. I pray, Lord, you'd bless this invitation and that it glorify your Son. Father, we love you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.